Welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review the first Wednesday of every month at Chicago's Cafe Mustache, where we satirize the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and debate. This particular edition of the Skewer was recorded on June 5th, 2019. Enjoy! What? Ooh, a little loud. A little bit of feedbacky. But it's okay. We can adjust. We can adapt or die. I choose adapt. First, a benediction. I want a dyke for president. I want a person with AIDS for president, and I want someone with no health insurance, and I want someone who grew up in a place where the earth is so saturated with toxic waste that they didn't have a choice about getting leukemia. I want a president that had an abortion at 16, and I want a candidate who isn't the lesser of two evils, and I want a president who lost their last lover to AIDS, who held their lover in their arms and knew they were dying. I want a president with no air conditioning, A president who has stood online at the clinic, at the DMV, at the welfare office, and has been unemployed and laid off and sexually harassed and gay-bashed and deported. I want someone who has spent the night in the tombs and had a cross burned on their lawn and survived rape. I want someone who has been in love and been hurt, who respects sex and has made mistakes and learned from them. I want a black woman for president. I want someone with bad teeth. Someone who has eaten hospital food, someone who cross-dresses and has done drugs and been in therapy, and I want to know why this isn't possible. I want to know why we started learning somewhere down the line that a president is always a clown, always a John and never a hooker, always a boss and never a worker, always a liar, always a thief, and never caught. Zoe Leonard, 1992, which was the year the United States elected a different clownish rapist as president. He even had the red nose. It's okay if you didn't laugh. That was a Clinton joke from the 1990s <laughs> that came to join us in our world. <laughs> 30 years later, and we are still in want of a better president. Every candidate, even low-key rich genius Auntie Bitsy Warren, is a boss and has never been powerless under the jackboot of the system, never had their child ripped from their arms at a border by men with guns. Never been broke, actually broke, or broken. And broken people are put in society's garbage. This month, the cover of Harper's Magazine read, Is poverty necessary? (laughs) Harper's Magazine is a publication that ran a cover story in 2015 with the subtitle, In Defense of Respectability Politics. I, I thought here that we were done with that pull your pants up when they arrested Bill Cosby, but no. Harper's, which ran an excited defense of Brexit in April 2019, in a section of their magazine literally titled Easy Chair. Harper's, which in 2017 had Katie Royfe write a piece about Me Too, Katie Royfe, unless you, for the uninitiated, she made a name for herself in the 90s by claiming college date rape is just a thing that doesn't happen. So you can guess her take on Me Too. Why do I get this awful trash magazine with bad ideas? Well, years ago, I won their cryptid crossword puzzle contest a couple times, which I used to brag about, and now I don't know how I feel about because the magazine sucks so bad. (laughs) But they seem to have gifted me with a lifetime subscription. I move 
they find me. <laughs> Much like Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet, I could read this cover story just by touching it. It's five to 10,000 words of soft hand ringing, the ringing very vigorous, the hands very, very soft. And the answer, a reluctant, yes, yes, poverty is necessary. If we didn't have poverty, what would poor people be? <laughs> My Romanian husband asks why congressional Democrats are mumbling about civility and breaches of norms instead of investigating, arresting, issuing court orders, and impeaching, which is literally what they were elected to do. My husband's hope is that Pelosi wants to time impeachment proceedings with the 2020 election for maximum effect. But I have surpassed my Eastern European husband in cynicism, and I think congressional Democrats are not going to do shit unless the streets are filled with angry people who demand it every day for a long time. Streets so packed and angry, you can't even drive your limousine to work anymore. <laughs> Why aren't the streets filled with people? I personally have a very flexible schedule and a lot of rage, and I'm not in the streets <laughs> because I want to believe it would do any good. And thus, this standoff continues while an administration of psychopaths dismantles the instruments of the people's government and builds more concentration camps and strips away protections by which queer people enjoy public life and destroys the environment and loots the public trust and gets away with it. Because if Congress doesn't protect their own... If they don't protect rich people, what would the poor people be? President? It's okay that this opener wasn't very funny. <laughs> I'm going to try to make up for it by summoning all my Second City improv training to give you some funny-as-fuck interstitial banner. Incorporate some object work. But narrate it because this is also a podcast. I just took a drink, but then I grabbed the microphone with my drink hand. That was bad object work. We got a great show for you tonight, but before we get to it, we're gonna bring up Kevin Johnson for the fake news quiz. Kevin Johnson. I like that they always introduce it as like, we're, we got a great show, but before we get to the greatness. <laughs> thanks, Erica. <laughs> cool. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a fake news quiz. You, you know how it works. You've probably been here before. Yeah. Hey, some people at the window. Hi. Say hi to the people at the window. Yay! For the, for the people in the podcast listening, there were people at the window. <laughs> and we waved to them. I need a volunteer, and if I don't get one, I'll just do casual scatting until I get one. I'm already up here. You can stop scatting. Okay. Cool. What's your name? My name's Carl. Carl, you are a tall stranger, and you are away from the mic. I don't know. Okay, this is high as it goes. Well, all right, fuck it. All right. All right, so I'm going to, like, say three stories at him. He's going to tell me which one's false. And if you don't get it, you die. Okay. Story one. 
Oh, there's, there's going to be three sets of three stories. Whatever. Anyway, first story. Texas is going to make unwanted dick pics illegal. It's Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. Story two. Danish politician puts an ad on Pornhub and says, you have to go where your voters are. <laughs> Story three. Former NBA star Lamar Odom claims he was suspended from a game for having Viagra in his bloodstream. Huh. Yeah. See, I definitely believe that unwanted dick pics are not currently illegal in Texas. Okay. The question is, are they going to make them illegal? That is a question, uh, yes. I'm going to go with the Viagra one. That one's false. I don't know why you, like, talked to the first one and then went, <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, you are correct. Okay. So, Lamar Odom, actually, at the 2004 Olympics, he cheated by using a fake penis. <laughs> And that makes more sense because he had to pass a drug test because he was doing, like, crack or something. And so to, you, you have to, like, pee into, like, a thing. And, like, but there's a guy watching you the whole time. So you have to have, like, a fake dick and everything. Okay. And the pee has to be warm because they're going to know. And it's got to taste correct. Okay. Anyway. Second set of stories. An extinct bird species has evolved back into existence. Which is fucking metal. <laughs> Story two. Scientists discover the Canto region of the brain used to remember various animal species and how difficult they are to hunt. Probably what they taste like as well. Yeah. Story three. Two Texas men... Ooh, another Texas story. Two Texas men die trying to jump over an open drawbridge. What was the first one again? Uh, an extinct bird species has evolved back into existence. Kind of like how you asked this question and it came back into existence. I'm going to go with the Texas one. No, that happened. Oh. Of course that happened. <laughs> Shit. Um, the second one, you're going to realize how stupid this is. But a study finds... <laughs> yeah, they're all, like, yeah, they're all stupid, I know. Yeah. <laughs> a study finds that Pokemon characters have their own pea-sized region in your brain. The Kanto region is what you play when you're in Pallet Town. Oh. It's a dumb joke that I made. Okay. I should have known that. Okay. That's what I do. I feel bad for not, that's not why I'm here. immediately recognizing the word Kanto region. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I figured it was Japanese. People aren't just going to go over it. Anyway, um, story or set three. Set mm-hmm. three, yes. Oh, and just, and just in case anyone's following along, the first set was all about dicks. Second set was all about evolution, and they, they left the gene pool, as you see. Okay, your third set of stories. Sunscreen, crim- Jesus Christ. Okay. Sunscreen chemicals soak all the way into your bloodstream. Hmm. Summer's coming up. You'll find out. Okay. <laughs> Story two. According to scientists, the next great superfood is potatoes. Okay, okay. The Irish knew that. <laughs> anyway, story three. It's not too soon. Shut up. <laughs> story three. U.S. Energy Department rebrands fossil fuels as molecules of freedom. No. Now, is that dumb enough that they would have made it up, or dumb enough that I would have made it up, or dumb enough that I think they would have made it up, and so I made it up? I, I'm going to say the third one. 
the third one? Molecules yeah. of Freedom? Yeah. Oh, that's fucking real, boy. Oh, God damn it. America, uh, fuck yeah. I had, too, I had too much faith in the United States government. Yeah, yeah, you did. So, two is the fake one. The next great superfood is cockroach milk. Everything's a fucking superfood. I know. How do you, how do you milk a cockroach? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for trying, Carl. This is not my worst round of this. You, you have done worse, and thank you for that. Uh, welcome back to the stage, your host for the evening, Erica Dreisbach. Thank you so much. First up, our first op-ed of the evening, we've got Noah Heinrich, who's a computer programmer, teacher, podcaster, and to- storyteller. She is a two-time Skewer Debate winner. Yes. And is an actor and producer of the gaming podcast Tabletop Potluck. Also, tomorrow is her 29th birthday. So dope. Welcome up to the stage, Noah. Thank you, Erica. Yeah, so tomorrow is my birthday, so you have exactly four hours or so to not be nice to me. Use it well. So, to start with, I have a little joke to share with all of you. The head of the Rabbinical Council of America has been good friends with the Pope for a very many years. One day, they decide they will sit down and hash out the differences between their religions once and for all. However, in order to preserve their friendship, they create a rule. No spoken words or written words are allowed. They can only communicate by gesture. When the day arrives, the chief rabbi and his friends walk into the Vatican, and he sits down at a table with the Pope. A hush falls over the room as they begin the silent debate. The Pope points to the ceiling. The rabbi points at the floor. The Pope raises three fingers. The rabbi raises one finger. The Pope takes out a wafer. The rabbi takes out an apple. And with that, the Pope throws his hands into the air and storms out of the room. The cardinals gather around him and ask, Your Holiness, what what happened? What's wrong? The Pope says, He had an answer for everything. I pointed to the sky to represent God in heaven. He pointed down, saying God is all around us. Then I raised three fingers to represent the Holy Trinity, but he raised one for monotheism. Then I took out the Eucharist to represent the, the, uh, the body of Christ, but then he took out an apple for original sin. I couldn't beat him. Meanwhile, the other rabbis are asking the chief rabbi, What happened? I don't know. He said, all Jews get out. And I said, we're staying right here. (laughs) He said, you have three minutes. So I gave him the finger. (laughs) Then he took out his lunch. I took out my lunch. Then he left. (laughs) My rabbi told me that joke when I was a kid. And it never fails. I fucking love this joke. And I'm glad you enjoyed it too. uh, Because that's the last joke I'm going to be telling for a while. So, a couple of weeks ago, two Molotov cocktails were thrown at Anshe Sholom B'nai Israel. Heard of it? Not a lot of people have. But it's one of the oldest modern Orthodox congregations in the city. And it's located in the heart of Lakeview, about four miles from where we're standing right now. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. 
And the Molotovs failed to do any damage. The person has shit aim, they hit the wall, fell on the floor, the janitor came in the next day to find just ashes on the ground. But it was a close thing. If one had gone through a window, we might have lost an irreplaceable piece of Chicago Jewish history. And nobody who knows who did it just yet. No suspect has... There has been a suspect caught on video, but no arrests have been made, no face has been found. Now... I know what you're all thinking. It was the Nazis. I mean, yeah, who else would it be? Who else firebombs a synagogue? It's the most explanation. And, you know, but I wish I could be sure. And after a while, after all, with Nazis, you know where to stand. With your boot on their neck. Yes. But, yes. But what if it was someone else? Now, all right, you may be asking me, Noah, have you been hitting the Manischewitz? Who else would hate Jews that much that they'd try to burn a synagogue to the ground? I don't know. Try everybody? My evidence is all of fucking history. See, I'm not here to be your funny Jew tonight. I'm through talking in gestures, hoping that you'll see my pain through your laughter. And yes, I am talking to you, not a theoretical alt-right internet troll. This rootless coastal elite is bringing her message to all the goyim tonight. And for the next few minutes, I hope that you listen. So Pride. Pride, as you probably know, is happening this month. And Chicago Pride is coming up. The corporations know that they see us as a marketable commodity, so they've infiltrated our parade and put on their rainbow top hats and bedazzled monocles. It's awful. It's corporate. I hate it as much as you do. So where do we go? Once upon a time, I might have suggested, hey, let's try Chicago Dyke March. They still have some lefty cred, right? I was planning on doing that exact thing a few years ago. Who here has a guess how that turned out? So a little refresher for you. A few years ago, three queer people were asked to leave CDM because they were, I quote, spreading Zionist propaganda. What that really means is they were waving rainbow flags with stars of David on them, which the Israeli flag also has, but has also been a symbol of the Jewish people for thousands and thousands of years. The only reason any of us heard about this story was thanks to Gretchen Hammond, a Jewish transgender woman who was an award-winning journalist for the Windy City Times. So when this news broke, do you think the Chicago Dyke March leadership faced any kind of censure or made any sort of restitution? Nope. They simply tweeted that Zio tears replenish our electrolytes while Gretchen Hammond lost her job. Zio, by the way, is a slur for Jewish people invented by that masterful bard of racist vitriol, David Duke. (laughs) So that day, I learned three harsh truths. One, a Zionist can be any Jew that doesn't loudly proclaim how anti-Zionist they are every day, and also agree with all of your opinions. Two, you can, get a great, you can get away with discriminating against Jews so long as those Jews are Zionists. And three, queer Jews have no allies. How do I know that last one? Because this year there are 1,500 people RSVPing to Chicago Dyke March. Now why am I bringing up this old news? Because apparently a lot of you forgot, but not me. As a Jewish woman, I do not feel safe in leftist spaces sometimes, because you've discovered something that the far right has known for years, which is that Jews don't fit. They don't fit into this Christian-flavored tub of Mountain Dew we call a country, 
and they don't fit into philosophies that break down oppression into neat little categories. Jewish people face their own vectors of oppression, and Jewish people of color face double those vectors, but that doesn't really fit into the model. I thought the point of intersectionality is to understand this fact, yet people seem to think that being Jewish makes you immune to oppression of any kind, not just anti-Semitism, but racism, homophobia, and transphobia. You can oppress us all you want, and it's all politically correct. It's the American dream, finally made real. So you may ask me, okay, why am I telling you all this? You're all on my side, right? Thank you. That was a test, and you all passed. (laughs) And here's the thing. I'm telling you in the hopes that you'll listen. Because, yeah, generally speaking, when Jews face real violence, it comes from people on the right. The person who tried to bomb that synagogue was almost certainly on the right but I still have my doubts. So I'm going to put this as plainly as I can because I have faith that you'll listen. People on the left need to do better. You need to listen to Jews when we tell you that your behavior is anti-Semitic. You can ignore the Republicans and their crocodile tears, sure, but you do not get to define the terms of our oppression to us. By all means, criticize the Israeli government. I will join you. But be aware that being an anti-Zionist does not automatically shield you from any bigoted behavior that you use. No more gestures. No more jokes. I am not asking you. I am telling you. No more picking and choosing when to care about anti-Semitism. No more, my words were taken out of context. No more, well, she went to Z- on birthright in ninth grade, so... Your social justice is inclusive, or it's shit, period. Clean up your act... Or I'll take out my lunch and I'll leave. Thank you. Awesome. Get up for Noah. Noah. Um, just going back to the birthdays thing, uh, I realized last night that the next time I renew my license will be my 40th birthday. It's coming right up. <laughs> I looked at my license and I thought, I'm going to be at the DMV and I'm going to be 40. <laughs> Carly Heiser is a writer and performer from Chicago. She performs most Tuesday nights with her improv friends, The Stacks, as part of the Chicago Improv Den at Laugh Out Loud Theater in North Center. She's currently working on completely rewriting her first book while also figuring out how to produce an improvised podcast about supernatural high schoolers. Yes. <laughs> you can follow her on at Carly Heiser on Twitter and at Carly2, that's C-A-R-L-Y-T-W-O, on Instagram. Welcome up, Carly Heiser. Hello? Okay, cool, cool. All right. I'm going to take a breath. All right. An excerpt from an article in The Atlantic, dated August 2024. Glendale Road in Columbus, Georgia, is a dead end. The street rounds out in a cul-de-sac. A row of two-story apartment buildings on the left side flanks the few yards of unkept grass that lead to a battered chain-link fence. The railroad tracks beyond are where the first body was found. I keep glancing at Brian Dane, the now 19-year-old who was 15 when he happened upon Kyle Tenninger's body, coming home at late, last night, late at night in the summer of 2020. He and his family still live in the apartment building at the end of the block. 
I watch for signs of fear or apprehension, but he shows none as he takes this walk with me. We wasn't supposed to be taking the tracks, he says, as he steps over the collapsed fence and absently waves me forward. I squint to see if I can discern any monuments or keepsakes, similar to the other sites that I visited, but I can only see empty McDonald's cups, plastic bags, and cigarette butts. It's still technically off-limits, he offers, making his way down the edge of the fence. After walking for about a minute, he stops and nods his head toward the rocky ground where a copse of trees hangs over and makes a shaded area. This was where he found him. I figured he was dead when we noticed all the blood. We got out of Dodge pretty quick after that. I never noticed the, uh... He pauses but doesn't finish his thought, figuring that I know what he means. Kyle Tenninger's penis was never found, but investigators suspect it was cut off while he was still alive. There is nothing to suggest a body had been there, although many of the rocks that cover the area nearer the fence seem cleaner than the rest. This visit, this visit to this site is brief, unlike some others. I spent much more time in River Falls, Alabama, where the makeshift monument to Daniel White is still standing three years later, albeit next to the dumpster where he was found. I couldn't believe it was a woman, says Trudy Pruitt, 51, the proprietor of the gas station that the dumpster sits behind. The whole thing was, well, I hope I never see anything like it again. I had to catch my breath before I called the police. Daniel's penis was present at the scene when the third body was discovered, lodged down his throat. His ultimate cause of death was suffocation. When I ask about Daniel's life during my visit, however, the quality of the response remains vague as, as vague as when the murder first occurred. He always paid his tab. Jacob Blevins, 35, the bartender at the Goose Bar and Grill, offered weekly as I interviewed him and his regulars. We don't speak ill of the dead, was one of the responses I heard a lot in both towns. The sites of the seven other bodies spread across Georgia and Alabama don't turn up many shining character witnesses, although everyone spoken to is adamant that Charlene Kraber deserves to pay for her crimes. It is my fourth visit to Georgia State Maximum Security Prison when Charlene agrees to see me. I realize before she enters and I see her silhouette through the frosted metal door that I'm nervous to lay real-life eyes on her. Court illustrations depict her as wild, raving, and foaming at the mouth. I'm surprised when she sits down with me in the mostly empty visiting room. She's about 5'5", five five, so shorter than I imagined, and her dark, wavy brown hair is now past her shoulders. Her eyes are also a dark brown, even though I somehow remember them being depicted lighter and more severe. I notice a smattering of freckles high on each of her cheekbones. She's attractive, even if she looks a little tired in her white jumpsuit, and I can tell immediately why it was so easy for her to lure her victims away. She asks if I've come to interview her about her upcoming appeal, but I tell her I'm just there to cover her. You a fan, too? She asks wryly. I admit that I am not, although I am aware of her fan base. Cray broads and cray bros is what they call themselves on their Facebook and subreddit. Men and women who've researched not only Charlene's, but also her victim's history, and still believe she hasn't done anything to warrant the death penalty. It's very interesting the things they dig up, she adds, with a seemingly proud smile after we go over a particularly long Reddit post of all of Kyle Tenninger's assault charges, coupled with the same dates of Charlene's whereabouts, which were mostly working full-time at the Walmart in Columbus. We talk about how she's doing in prison, she admits she wasn't quite prepared, and how her daughter Shayla, now five, is doing without her. I just don't want her to feel like it's her fault, she says, after telling me about the latest bad tantrum Shayla had when she visited and Charlene had to tell her yet again she would not be going home with them. I know my activity would suggest a serial killer, but my attorneys and I have settled on the term vigilante for the appeal. Here, Charlene is referencing the terms for her sentencing. According to the FBI, a serial murder is the unlawful killing of two or more victims by the same offenders in separate events. Charlene fits this classification, but prefers the new formal verbiage of vigilante, as it is being used by her legal team and was put forth by her supporters on the internet, even though it is not currently a legal term.
Most serial killers have a specific motivation, sometimes sexual, but it wasn't like that. This was justice. Another detail of a serial killer is that their victims usually fall into a specific category. For male perpetrators, their victims are usually women of a certain age, hair color, or similar features. Sometimes it's just a geographic area. For Charlene, it was men who had posed a threat to the women who bore their children. The specific details of which she would find in her many single mothers' Facebook groups. It only came out after she was arrested that Kyle Tenninger was Shayla's father, which prompted her to release her manifesto. I thought for sure that I would get a lot of backlash, but the manifesto is what got me my supporters. Kyle was dangerous, and with Shayla, I was going to be linked for him to life. I was going to be linked to him for life. You have to understand, I love my little girl, but if I could have had an abortion, I would have. The bans made it impossible unless I wanted to risk it illegally. It wasn't safe for him to be in our lives, and I had to do something. I don't regret that. And she calmly describes the details of her upcoming appeal. It's difficult to imagine this woman as someone who lured men away, drugged them, castrated them, and then dumped their bodies to be found days or sometimes weeks later in different towns. At one point, I couldn't help but ask why she kept doing it. I guess I felt powerless for a long time, she shares. But then after Kyle, this just made more sense. These men were dangerous. Someone had to do something. I mentioned that she racked up an impressive body count in the six months she was active. She also shares that she was surprised by how easy it was, stating, they're not careful the same way women are. I ask her why she thinks that is. She considers this heavily and then, well, they've never had to be until now. Thank you. Yes. Uh, it's okay to clarify whether that was fiction or nonfiction, right, Carly? It's from the future, so it's real. It's from the future, so it's real. <laughs> this is a dark skewer tonight, guys. You feeling that energy? It's a dark skewer. Tom's not here tonight. Tom Harrison, my co-host, co-producer, co-founder of The Skewer. Tom's not here, and it's a dark skewer where I do poetry, and I don't have to be funny if I don't want to. On that note, one moment. I'm back with a hat on my head. So if you are here tonight, you probably passed by the donations bucket. You probably put in a couple of bucks. But if you put in a couple of bucks and you're thinking, man, this dark skewer has got me real going. I think I want to put in a couple bucks more. Now is your opportunity. This hat's going to be going around. And if you're feeling it, you know, that value that you're getting, that dark, good, dark feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead and pass it around. I find this deeply offensive. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. How dare you? Kevin and I are, are getting this close to becoming real friends. And I am constantly anxious that I'm about to blow it permanently. <laughs> yeah. So here it goes. For our last op-ed of the night. Lily B. started sharing stories in Chicago by accident in 2010. 
She never had a want to express herself artistically. This is not something she ever planned on doing. From the west side of Chicago, born and raised to north, south, east, back to west, is where she spent most of her days raising her son. She was a teen mom, turned young drug dealer, turned corporate salesperson, turned community supporter, turned storyteller, turned nanny, turned producer, turned dominatrix. Turned teacher, turned off-book storytelling goddess, turned writer to Ndonia. Lily produces The Stoop and Story Collider as an editorial assistant for Story New Magazine and account manager for Go Lucky Studios. She also teaches one-on-one online storytelling workshops, as well as face-to-face workshops around the city, is writing a book and hosting events. She's half magic, half amazing, all real, never selling out. Don't sleep on her because she'll be running the tunnels in our dystopian futures. Find her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or connect with her on lilyb.com, L-I. L-Y-B-E dot com. Welcome up, Lily B. Oh, my God. I do so much. I'm so extra, you guys. I gotta be. Um, okay. She right. It's a dark fucking uh, skewer. It ain't going to lighten up with me up here. I'll tell you that much. Um, here we go. I suffer from a form of PTSD that I did not know that I suffered from until I went to see John Wick 2. Yeah, right? That alone, right? But no, it's not that. Uh, With my best friend at the time, Clarence, whenever the fuck John Wick 2 came out. It was a day just like any other fucked up Chicago day. I went to the store. I bought the candy. I was going to sneak into the theater, put that shit deep inside my bag. So, um, because now in my, what the fuck is wrong with 40, by the way, Eric? I'm fucking 40. Um, And I put that shit deep inside my fucking bag because they don't search my ass anymore. Um, Because I'm old. I mean, older. I buy the only shit that they like. I buy popcorn because it's the one thing the theater can still get me to buy at full fucking price. Because not even the ticket was like a Tuesday, five dollar Tuesday when we went to see John Wick Two. It's the only thing they're gonna get me to buy full price is their fucking popcorn. I let Clarence pick the seats because that motherfucker very particular about the fucking seats in the theater we sit in. And then he runs off to get nachos before the preview start. He could easily get the fucking nachos when I'm getting the fucking popcorn, but no, he got to get these seats first. And sure enough, we pick out the seats, and then he gets the ears like, let me go get my nachos. His gourmet ass fucking nachos from the fucking. <laughs> and after we get our seats, without fail, right? Uh, He's like, I'm going to be right back. And I sit back and start, like, people watching. Everybody that walks in, I watch, right? And then I see him. He's sitting three seats down from me. He's a straight, maybe, right? He a white dude. Sitting there by himself. And I peep him just sitting there. And at first, I don't think nothing of it, right? I don't, at first. But then I'm like people watching. I'm sitting there by myself. 
And I have uh, popcorn, and Clarence had got a, like, he was like, get a drink, too. So I, I got the drink against my better, like, I, I, don't, I don't pay for fucking shit. I, uh, but I got it anyway. And I look over, and this motherfucker don't got none of that. Not a drink, not a popcorn. And I get a chill, like, mm, that, don't, that don't sit right with me. It doesn't. And he's staring at the fucking screen. But there ain't shit on the screen but like a Sarpino's ad. It's not like a, it's not like a, like a, like a, you know, like, who was in Castaway? Tap right? Like, it's not that fucking, it's not, it's not one of those, like, I'm thinking about who was in that movie. No, it's a Sarpino's fucking ad. So, like, what you staring at the screen so intently for, G? And then, so now I get a ooh, double chill. Now the spidey sense, right? And then I notice that his jacket is balled up on his lap. And you see, and then that's when I'm like, nah, because I walked in with my jacket and I took that shit off and I put it behind me and then I started looking at everybody else and everybody else is sitting there with their fucking jackets on their asses. Why the fuck you got yours balled up on your lap, son? Uh-uh. Nope. I feel it. I'm just like, nah, we got, we got to go. So Clarence comes back with his gourmet-ass nachos, ready to watch John Wick 2. He sits his ass down next to me and uh, puts his feet up, and I'm just like, mm, I want to go. And he's like, no, what the, why? why? I'm like, peep dude on the fucking left of us. And he, like, looks over, and he's like, okay, what? And I'm like... Dude, he ain't got no popcorn. He ain't making no eye contact with none of the fucking people that are coming in. Like, I, you know, I'm explaining to Clarence that I don't feel good around this fucking dude. And he's just like, you know, Lily, people come to the fucking theater by themselves. I'm like, yeah, but I come to the theater by myself and I get some fucking popcorn every fucking time. I don't ball my fucking jacket on my lap. I'm not sitting here intently watching a Sarpino's ad. I'm peeping every fucking body that comes into this place. i like, look, two fucking kids. Oh, oh, they're bringing their whole fucking family. Like, I'm like peeping who I got to sit around to watch John Wick 2. Clarence, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And he and I fight. We have a fight, Clarence and I, because I'm like, I'm out of here. You can fuck. Like, Cobam or whatever the fuck it is that he's got on his lap. I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not taking the fucking chance. I'm out of here. Let's go. He's like, we can sit in the back. So I'm, no, we're gone. I'm out of here. Let's, I want to go. And so we leave. I'd have a similar episode at King Spa with my ex-boyfriend, Later on, where I'm just like, nah, I don't feel comfortable around this lone fucking white dude watching us eat fucking Korean barbecue. I, I want to go. Something about being in a closed off space with suspect looking white men is scary to me now. And I feel fucked up about it. Believe it or not. I feel fucked up about it. Do you hear me? I feel fucked up about it and I shouldn't because this is what they do 
This what y'all do, white man. I mean, this y'all do it, and y'all do it just fucking because you can. Because we're fucking barbecuing. Because we're selling Girl Scout cookies. Because we're renting Airbnbs and y'all aren't used to seeing us there. You hear me? Seeing. And I need y'all to understand what the fuck I'm saying. Just seeing us there. Just because y'all ain't used to seeing us there means you can suspect us of being up to no good and this fucking sucks. I have all the fucking proof. I have all the fucking proof that y'all are legit killing us, have killed us, have cold-blooded massacred us and we're the suspects all the fucking time. And I can't suspect that white man at the theater for being a shooter. Because then I am the irrational one. It doesn't matter that no statistic says nowhere that black folks are out there or brown folks are out there hurting y'all at a ridiculous rate. None. None. But I'm... The fucking crazy one. And even in the room right now, I'm the one making y'all fucking uncomfortable with this. Fuck y'all. Because the only way I'm going to be comfortable in a place with any lone white man is if, A, I'm pegging the motherfucker, first of all. (laughs) And I did that for four years, happily. And B, if y'all walk everywhere naked and don't nobody want to see that. I'm sorry. And I can't even tell a, a white therapist about this. Because that bitch ain't going to be able to relate to that shit. Lily, what's the likelihood of that happening? Very fucking likely, bitch. Very fucking likely. But your husband's probably white, and she, he could probably probably be one of these guys, and you sleep just fine at night. You sleep just fine at night. Meanwhile, I have a hammer under my fucking pillow, because on top of that fucking mass shooter PTSD I got to fucking deal with, I'm also a brown fucking woman being pushed further and further west in Chicago because y'all need to be comfortable in what used to be my fucking neighborhood. I'm tired. I'm so fucking tired. But I'm also a fucking fighter. I told you I'm going to be queen of the fucking tunnels. And I'm just going to have to continue living with this shit until the day I die, which hopefully isn't shielding some poor baby from a lone white shooter who just fucking snapped one day. And I wish that y'all could just do the same. Not the shielding the baby part, but, you know, the living with it part, living with us part of it all. It would fucking make this shit a lot easier. 
I don't know if it'll make it go away, but it would make it a lot fucking easier. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Lily B, everybody. Well, the op-ed portion is now concluded. And now we will begin the skewer debate. One of our debaters, my co-producer, co-host, co-founder of the skewer, Tom Harrison, has come down with an illness tonight. So in his stead, Kevin will be reading the part of Tom Harrison. (laughs) Come on up, Kevin. Come on up. My little brother, Tom Harrison, is a calm genius, game master of the Hot As Hell RPG podcast, Shuffle Quest, and co-founder, co-host, and co-producer of The Skewer, Tom Harrison, everyone, played by Kevin Johnson. That's a very Tom thing to do. I don't know if you know. That was very good, actually. <laughs> does, does, that, does that feel like your son? I know. Uh, just, for those listening to the podcast, Kevin sort of bent his knees and flapped his arms at the yes. same time. It's like I'm trying to fly. It's like I'm trying to fly downward and like also get water out of a boat. That's right. That's right. Just imagine ears like a Vulcan and a widow's peak, and you have Tom Harrison. And our other debater, Megan Henricks, is a writer, comedian, and illustrator from Chicago. She can be seen all around town on shows like this one and co-produces the narrative variety show Beginning, Middle, End at The Hideout. Megan Henricks. And for our debate tonight, in May, Nigel Farage, I actually don't know how to say his name, and I refuse to learn... Nigel Ferengi, the Brexit leader and phenomenal turd, was on the receiving end of several milkshake attacks, some successful, some merely threatened. Subsequently, the pathetic coward canceled appearances and recused himself from public life. Clearly, throwing food at politicians is a tactic that gets results. Thus, what should we throw at congressional Democrats to get them to begin impeachment proceedings? Tom... I, I, Tom, will be arguing for peaches. He has a I, voice. I, I don't know what he sounds like. I really don't. I don't. I don't listen to this podcast. I don't know. I've literally been to every show, though. It's fine. Also, he gave me this at 2.30 p.m., so I'm going to fuck it up. I just want you to know that. And Megan, it would be kind of like, I'm going to argue that we should throw peaches. <laughs> Megan, what will you be arguing uh, I'll be arguing that we should throw meats. And which of you would like to go first? Tom. Tom, you volunteered. Tom is going first. I'm already tired at the effort I have to put into this. Oh, I'm going to fuck it up. Okay. All right. Feel my white energy just. Oh, oh, these lights. Oh, okay. The Oxford English Dictionary defines peaches as 504. The server encountered an error and could not complete your request. (laughs) Profound. I personally define peaches as the liar's fruit. 
a hateful ruse in food's clothing whose beguiling fuzz hides a gambler's folly. Who among us has eaten a palatable peach in the last year? Raise of hands? Exactly. How dare you, sir? Where did you find it? What? Have you had a peach before, sir? I stand not corrected. I think I last ate a juicy and pleasant peach in, like, 2012. And honestly, the more peaches I buy, the more it seems like the good peach was just some fucking MK Ultra United Fruit Company psyop to plant false memories in my brain. Every peach I've brought in the Trump administration has been the desert's orb, a dry, dry mummy fruit with the density of the sun. The sound these peaches make when I bite into them, it it drains the joy from my days. They're so dry. They're crispy boys. It feels like nothing so much as biting into a big chunk of drywall wrapped in aluminum foil. It's like taking a hard shoe of a glass paperweight full of sand. Did I buy these peaches at the farmer market, you ask? Thereby ensuring they cost at least $2? How dare you even ask? Why would you make light of my suffering? Of course I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tom, is it possible that peaches weren't in season yet, you ask? A question that would be wise and proper had this peach shit not been a big time curse that has haunted me for literal years. As every month from May to September, I buy a bunch of peaches just in case. Much like putting my hope in the democratic establishment to enact progressive action. Buying peaches is clearly a terrible idea. I am compelled to try over and over. Like it's a mousetrap and I've gotten my hand caught like a hundred times and I'm like, "Ah, yeah, it hurts like all those other times. But maybe, maybe this time I could get the cheese. Meanwhile, worldwide fascism is ascendant and is, and is, for all practical purposes, operating completely unopposed. Folks, it's bad. <laughs> World leaders, the people most equipped to beat it back, are extremely horny for it. <laughs> or like our sweet Dems, they, they think they can defeat it by making sure to call Steve Bannon a controversial provocateur. When they book him, <laughs> when they book him for... <laughs> When they book him for their idea symposium in some Swiss town hosted by a family of weird aristocrats who live in a big castle and eat baby meat. <laughs> it falls to us to hurl abuse, censure, and yes, physical matter at our leaders whenever we can force them into action. We've already made progress ensuring a fascist cannot enrage, right, engage in public life without encountering hostility and embarrassment. Throwing eggs... Hilarious. Milkshakes? Excellent. But now, now we need to spur the Democrats out of their torpor. How? Buddy, it's clear. It's the peach. <laughs> beyond, the, beyond the obvious peach and peach pun, these hard fruits will fucking hurt. <laughs> all, of us know, all of us know that it is ethically, wait, that it is ethical to physically harm those whose actions lead the world to ruin. We are the cognoscenti. We are all wise geniuses. But not everyone's on our level. We still need to play the PR game. 
It is settled law that people are generally okay with using food as a projectile. I believe that is the next word. Fuck yeah. <laughs> All right. But eggs and milkshakes are symbolic only. You can brush, you can brush off a symbol. I want a symbol that leaves a bruise. Picture this. A bunch of socialist teens. I know. It's already terrifying. With bagfuls of peaches facing down against some fucking millionaire ancient white dem who just got finished saying that Medicare for all is bad because private insurance industry gives Americans freedom to choose. Blop, blop, blop. It's peach time, baby. They can ignore calls to their office. They can ignore getting ratioed. That's, that's a thing on Twitter, I'm told. <laughs> they can't ignore a speeding war peach. And if anyone says boo, man, it's just a peach. It's a sweet little... Wait. Oh, wait, yeah, that was in there at first. Okay. Man, it's just a peach. It's a sweetie little tree peachy weechy. Who's scared of a baby peachy peachy? Just a tasty little fruit. The, baby, the sexy baby voice is crucial because it will make people barf and big time throw up and go away and stop thinking about us. It is the perfect cover. And here's the, and here's the beauty. It doesn't stop there. Say Democrats get fed up with being absolutely bodied by peaches and do their duty. They're soft little bubbies, so likely it wouldn't take long. We are left with an absolutely stunning offensive protocol to use against all fascists and enemies of freedom with total, plausible deniability. A fucking golden opportunity. Think of how deep this cover goes. We can hide all our assault peach training programs by disguising them as Antifa baseball leagues. We'll engender an air of patriotic respect for America's pastime while we train our throwing arms, honing our arm speed and releasing angles for maximum accuracy when the time comes, and we hurl an unyielding diamond-hard peach directly at a Nazi's dome. We don't want to miss our shot. We don't want our throws to go wide. We want a great assault peach that does not whiff out of our hands while we're marching. Milkshakes have done their job, but desperate, but desperate times call for desperate. I cannot say desperate. I'm just like, ugh. Cannot, yeah, you know, desperate times, desperate measures, you understand. <laughs> They're escalating their assaults on human rights. We have to escalate too. We're not going to get away with throwing a stone just yet, but maybe we can throw a stone fruit. Thanks. <laughs> is in the building, friends. Next up, we've got Megan. All right. I didn't know this was a serious cure, so there are some dick jokes in this. (laughs) And I'm sorry. (laughs) So what should we throw at congressional Democrats to get them to begin impeachment proceedings? Meat. Lots and lots and lots of fucking meat. Lunch meat, hot meat, cold meat, rotten meat, fancy meat, American goddamn meat. Kevin slash Tom will have you believe that peaches are the better option, but they're obviously not. Throwing them would just be a waste of a good cobbler. Meat, on the other hand, gets things done. Meat is sexy. It's visceral. It brings us back to the roots of our humanity. It is literal blood, flesh, and depending on where you're getting your meat from, rat parts and hair and shit. (laughs) Have you guys ever been non-consensually dick-slapped? I haven't. 
but it sounds terrible. And I do think that slapping someone hard across the face with a hefty shaft of salami would be effectively the same thing, but with the option for more force and accuracy. What an incredibly motivating and humbling experience it would be to be getting out of your big, spooky, congressional SUV to go take some sweet pics eating cookies and cream froyo somewhere with the people when all of the sudden, out of nowhere, bam! Dick salami to the face. Impeach him! You wouldn't fucking forget that. I believe that a girthy turkey leg could serve a very similarly effective purpose. Or perhaps imagine Mike Quigley, Brad Schneider, and Bill Foster are all sitting at a bar after hours talking shop and doing whatever the dick version of Kegels are. (laughs) When suddenly, out of nowhere, a hero runs in and two-handed whack-a-mole style hits them all with big-ass flank steaks. Fucking impeach him! They would not forget that. And I hate to say it, but in our current media hellhole, I really think all of this could play. The slow-mo replay potential of this is, frankly, untouchable. And isn't media coverage really what gets stuff done? Plus, meat throwing is viscerally upsetting for them, and it is cathartic for you. And we all deserve not only some moves being made on the impeachment process, but also some fucking relief. Resistance must be effective, but it's also got to be sustainable. And I'm so tired, and this joke got ruined earlier, but did you hear the U.S. Energy Department is rebranding fossil fuels as molecules of freedom? These motherfuckers are not playing around, and neither should we. We need to be direct, and we need to be upsettingly ruthless. I'm really losing my will to call my senators right now, but I would be willing to clear my entire calendar to go pelt Dan Lipinski in the face with some cuts of prime rib. Fuck you, Dan! Where are my articles of impeachment, Dan? As much as I love a good pun, impeach, very nice, we all know that cutesy wordplay isn't going to get us anywhere anymore. If it did, Trevor Noah, Stephen Colbert, and John Oliver, and all the other bad boys of late night would have already solved gun violence. An ass emoji simply cannot change the direction of a democracy. Also, I don't know, it's Pride Month for fuck's sake. Are you telling me you really want to throw fruit at congressional members? I just really feel like Fox News could really run with that Elon Omar style. Instead, why not grab some raw ham and go ham? Can you imagine denying someone whatever they wanted if every time you tried to leave the safety of your home you were pelted with lamb brains? What about cow stomach? How about blood sausage? If you do not know what blood sausage is, they are sausages filled with blood that are cooked or dried and mixed with a filler until it is thick enough to solidify when cooled. Pig, cow, sheep, duck, and goat blood can be used varying by country. We have options. Talk about inflicting some serious fucking emotional trauma. Also, with meat, we can all agree it's a very reusable substance, okay? So either you throw it, retrieve it, and then let it get more gross to throw it again, or you throw it, retrieve it, and then cook it to get all the germs off and serve it at your 4th of July barbecue like a real goddamn American. (laughs) And listen... I know what you guys are thinking. She just wants this because she's a vegetarian and she has a lot of extra meat lying around. (laughs) 
Not all of us are made of fucking money and can just go tossing our meats willy-nilly for democracy, man. But you guys, you don't need to spend your own money, okay? Think of the corporate partnerships available here. I really think we can get some sponsors up in this bitch, okay? (laughs) And when the big money gets involved, you know the ball really gets rolling. I mean, Arby's slogan is literally already, Arby's, we have the meats. (laughs) And if you're really horny for some wordplay, how about McDonald's? Are you kidding me? The six-piece chuckin' nuggets? You barely have to change the packaging. I mean, the McWrighton Pelosi's face would sell like fucking hotcakes in liberal and conservative states. Yes, McDonald's, I am loving it. The time for civility, retweeting angry petitions, and making phone calls has ended, my friends. We need to take to the streets with bundles of intestine loaded up with chicken wings that we can shoot out t-shirt cannon style when the Democrats try to step out on the town to remind them that they work for us and we want this asshole impeached. Thank you. Spirited openers both. Please come back to the stage, debaters. Now we begin the improv portion of the debate in which I will ask them questions. Questions that are quite dumb. Questions they have not heard in advance, correct? Correct. Correct. And they will have to answer on the fly. The first question is for Megan. Megan, a milkshake sends an unambiguous message of, you suck, full stop. How will you ensure that meats convey a different message of, you suck, unless... You suck unless... Um, I feel like uh, we could use the extra blood from meat, like, sort of... Oh, sorry. We could use the extra blood from meat and sort of, like, make posters. Yeah. I think that would be, that would be my vote. Excellent. More words. It's good. Tom, peaches come from a can. They were put there by a man in a factory downtown. If I had my little way, I'd eat peaches every day, sun-soaking bulges in the shade. Those incredible lyrics are from Peaches by the Presidents of the United States of America off their self-titled debut studio album, 1996. I recognize, Tom, that at the time of this song's release, you were six years old, Nonetheless, Peaches is iconic for older millennials such as myself. How might you leverage it for greater peach-throwing impact? I wouldn't because lump is better. Um, What's lump? Rebuttal. What? What's lump? It's another song by the president of... What? How dare you? Sing lump. No. If you don't how about, sing it, how about it's... I could sing literally anything because you don't know what the fuck it is. Sing it. Listen to Spotify. Megan, I don't know what it's. Also, also, I have a question for you, but I'm not going to ask this question. I'm just kind of like thinking it as you were as you were saying your piece, and I was like consensual dick slapping. This is devolving into chaos. You do not ask the questions, Tom Kevin. I'm just not trying to kink shame, you know what I mean? I don't know what people are into. I'm reasserting control. Megan, do you you. propose including a vegan option for those who wish to make an impact but want to keep the animals out of it? 
Um, yeah, jackfruit is great. I just, so long as it has some sort of like, what, what is really important and crucial to me is like the really upsetting consistency. So, so long as that is maintained, I feel that the spirit has also been maintained. Um, and that's acceptable to me as a person. Tom. Sucking on my titties like you wanted me. Whoa, whoa, what the fuck? All the time, like Blondie, check out my Chrissy behind, it's fine, I'll love the time. Like sex on the beaches, what else is in the teaches of peaches? Huh? What? (laughs) Those lyrics are from Fuck the Pain Away by Canadian electronic artist Peaches off her album The Teaches of Peaches 2000. I recognize, Tom, that at the time of this song's release, you were 10. Nonetheless, this song is iconic for aging queers such as myself. How might you leverage it for greater peach-throwing impact? As Tom, I would never use that song because it is publicly horny, and I am against horniness. How dare you? Thank you. It's okay. Question for both of you. The milkshake dripping off Nigel Farage made me very happy, and imagining how cold and gross he must have felt also made me happy, but it also made me sad because it seems like a waste of a good milkshake. So how do you propose limiting the waste resulting from throwing food? And I know, Megan, you addressed some of this, but just go deeper. Um, Also, I feel like... uh, Stray animals are a passion of mine, and I feel like, I don't know, we could just feed a lot of dogs at dog shelters. That's an idea. Um, uh, With the meat, after you throw them, then they can, like, bring the dogs and be like, go at it, buddies. You don't see that? Okay, well. um, Yeah, and I mean, I covered this earlier, so I feel like the dogs is... Okay, so I'm doing this with peaches, is what you told me? Because I, I, I was like, I thought you were saying, how do we make milkshakes less wasteful? And I was like, just get a bunch of cats or something. It's cool. But for peaches, I think if you throw them at people's heads, it will soften them to a place where you can actually eat them. Or this person, just give them to this person who's, who can enjoy a Mariano's peach. How, I don't understand. I don't understand. Excellent. Spirited answers. And now we've come to the closing statements of the debate. Uh, I believe Tom Kevin went first, so Tom Kevin goes last. Megan, you're up. All right. I didn't write a closing speech. I'm sorry. I forgot about this part. (laughs) But here's the thing. I've already made a lot of really creative, upsetting remarks about the ways in which we could really create and subsidize this meat to congressional representative delivery system. And so I just really feel like it's uh, something that's inclusive. Everybody can get behind it. We now have a vegan option. Thank you. Vegetarian option. Thank you. Um, But I think it's important to remember that uh, you can't, it'll make you feel good. It'll make them feel terrible. And that is what inspires action. Thank you so much. I was hoping it was going to be slightly longer before I had to assume the role of Tom again. A few disclaimers. One, this is apropos of nothing, but the email 
with the debate topics lets the writers refuse a topic if they think it isn't fruitful. And I couldn't figure out a joke to do with fruitful and peaches. But I'd like everyone to imagine I did. Pause for laughs. Thank you for going along with that. Two, if, you've, if you're wondering why I barely talked about Democrats or impeachment, it's because I totally misremembered the topic when I went to write this draft. I was 100% assuming that I was arguing that we should throw peaches at fascists, not Democrats. So you can imagine how fucking confused I was. Oopsie. I, I think it's impressive I wrote anything. Three. I don't know how this happens because I never fucking talk about it, but every once in a while, someone at my goddamn office learns that I do a show and asks me like, about it, and then I'm gripped with as much fear as, as if an actual vampire came here and showed, and I was like, <laughs> yes, it is called The Skewer. Here is the link. And then I spent like a, a week white-knuckled thinking, please don't listen. Please don't fucking listen. Don't do it, man. And I feel that I feel that now way more that I've performed a piece that is literally advocating political violence. If anyone from work is listening, when I say throw a peach at a Nazi with intent to injure them, it's actually a metaphor that means throw a manual review at a spreadsheet with the intent to ensure data quality. <laughs> Four. I also want to disclaim that I do know that. I do know about the peach's status as a symbol of horniness, often representing the human behind and folks I do not truck with this horny bullshit. For one, it's like two steps away from that part of face off where Nicolas Cage is like, I could eat a peach for hours or whatever the fuck. You know, you know, he fucking like he's not even southern, right? He's got that weird drawl, whatever. A fr- a, f- a phrase, which is a major fucking crime, especially when delivered by Nicolas Cage in that weird period where movie producers somehow convinced were somehow convinced that he was a handsome man despite literally all observable evidence. For two, like, does the metaphor even really hold up? Like, why would we throw a dummy thick ass at politicians? Just doesn't work. We say no to the horny ways, as I mentioned earlier, Erica. Those disclaimers out of the way, there's honestly not much... Other to say, then peaches will hurt the fascists more than meat. We're actually having, I mean, we're having a comedy laugh time here, but, like, there is a growing worldwide movement of actually evil people that want to kill us, and there's nothing stopping them. Will we not beat them? We will not beat them by engaging in good faith. Like, don't be fooled. Fascists aren't opposing climate change policy because they don't think it's real. They're doing it because they want to use it as an excuse to genocide climate refugees. The thread is real. It's here. Peaches suck ass and are dry and crunchy and bring me no joy. Two big problems. Put them together. That's the answer. I'm done. Thank you. Come back on up, Megan. Spirited, excellent debates, but there can only be one winner to receive an actual skewer. Tonight, we have a judge, and you will also be the judges by your applause. So, tonight, I'm going to ask, uh, point the skewer at each of the people, the debaters. I'm a new mom. It's okay. Um, and applaud like mad for the one that you think won, and then applaud a, a, a lesser amount, but a still encouraging amount for the other one. So, if you think that Tom Kevin won the debate tonight, please... Yeah. 
And if you think that Megan Henricks won the debate tonight, applaud, please. Okay. Impartial judge, who is the winner tonight? It is Megan. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming out. We are going to skip the July show because it's so close to the July holiday. Independence Day. So we will see you on Wednesday, August 7th. Devin Price is going to be hosting. It's going to be a killer time. And we will see you then. Thank you so much. It was Tom that lost, not me. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you heard, you can come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago or subscribe to the podcast wherever you get podcasts. I know you get them because you're listening to one right now. If you want to be on the show or know more information, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time.